over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this letter to the Philippians under the theme of growing toward the light. This series is, as you can see from the slide, going to be mixed up a bit by some special services. We're going to be reflecting on the voice referendum and some of the issues of faith that it raises. We're going to be holding a special service and morning tea to celebrate our community and the many ways in which we connect with and care for one another within it. And then at the start of November, our All Saints service, remembering those we've lost. And that evening, soul food coming back. But I really wanted to show you this slide, not because of the dates, but because of that spiral on the right-hand side. That really got me thinking. The way these slides happen is normally that I send some vague idea about what I might be talking about to Sonia. And she comes up with a graphic and often quite a lot of the words um, for me, being good at that sort of thing. And when I saw this spiral, it's not exactly an optical illusion, but I couldn't decide which way my eyes moved around it. Whether they travel anti-clockwise and inwards and, I think, into the distance, as if it was a faith drawing us towards something ahead, or whether the mind moves clockwise and outwards, as if being taken into ever wider circles. I emailed Sonia saying um, that I couldn't decide. And she shared her sense of it, which was different again, that of a, uh, a plant spiral, perhaps a tendril like a passion fruit vine, holding on as a support. Or the spiral stem, she said, of a wonga wonga To me, a spiral stem enabling the plant to grow towards the sunlight. So as we reflect in these coming weeks of growing towards the light, Perhaps we might have any of those images in mind, growing upwards towards the sun, supported by tendrils or spiral stalk, or growing out away towards a future, or growing out and into the world. Options for how you hold this whole series. Now, I've never preached on the book of Philippians, before. So it's been a bit of a journey of discovery so far for me. It's widely accepted that this is one of the letters which was written by Paul, although in fact that it was probably more than one letter, perhaps three letters edited together. Letters most likely written by Paul in prison in Rome, probably near the end of his life in the early 60s AD. I mention that because I think it's important for us to understand as we read the words that we've drawn out for the title today. To live is Christ and to die is gain. For while those first few words, to live is Christ, might reflect something we would at least aspire to, the second half 
to die is gain, uh, that's not just something I can't say. It's not something I really want to be able to say. In fact, having just done a couple of sessions of mental health youth training, youth mental health first aid training, I'd have to say that if I heard particularly a young person say to die is gain, it would raise some warning flags as to their safety, their well-being. If we hear those words as being spoken by a man full of years, as the Bible elegantly puts it, then they might sound more like those words you hear spoken by believers who know that they are coming close to the end of their life here on earth. Words you often hear in my line of work. I'm ready to go. I'm waiting for Jesus to take me home. Words which then sound like words of faith spoken by those who have run the race, who have, they feel, finished the task set before them. But Paul, writing this passage, seems to find himself somewhere between those two. He expresses great confidence in what is set before him. And I suspect he's not actually having a particularly pleasant life as he writes. He's often been imprisoned, flogged, generally persecuted. These words most likely written during the reign of Nero as emperor, which was not a good time to be a prominent Christian in Rome. He was ready to go. He was sure that the life which lay ahead of him would be better by far, but at the same time, he was still deeply committed to the calling that he had here on earth. That as long as God had work for him to do, it's cutting in and out, isn't it? We'll do our best. I wish to go, that will be better by far, but you still need me here, so I will, I am sure, stay. Here, it seems to me, is how faith looks at one of those two great certainties of life. Paul had little to say about taxes. But the promise held before us, held before him, was that the life ahead would be greater by far. But the decision to move on was not his to make. For only God knew, truly, when he would have done all that it was he had to do. To die ultimately would be gain. But before that time, we each have lives to live. And so it's that first half of the phrase that I find myself challenged by. I can set aside the words to die is gain, maybe as true, 
but not perhaps relevant, at least perhaps not yet. But that first half, to live is Christ. A remarkable, unattainable degree of commitment. A challenge in the absoluteness of Paul's declared service to Jesus. Now, one objection to that sort of absoluteness of commitment might be that we have other commitments and they are real and genuine. We have people we care for. We have friends and relatives and responsibilities. We cannot sacrifice those in order to be 100% for something else. We cannot be committed solely to religious service when we have other calls on our life. That, of course, is the point of the rest of the passage. Paul's recognition that he still has a responsibility to the others who need him, the ones to whom he is writing. Precisely the reason, he says, that he is sure he will stay. Those responsibilities, those God-given responsibilities, are not contrary to his calling, his service of Christ. They are exactly what his service of Christ is. I was reminded of one of the arguments that Jesus gets into with the religious leaders of his day where he criticizes them because they've made an arrangement which says that if someone comes to the temple and says, any support that I would have given to my parents, my elderly parents, is now dedicated to God, then that was okay. It could be given to the temple and the responsibility to the care for the parents set aside. Jesus had no bar with that. Neither Jesus nor he, Paul, saw service to God as taking us away from or exempting us from the responsibilities that we have for others. Quite the contrary. The responsibilities we have for others are very much part of our service to God. So we can't get out of the challenge of absolute commitment to Jesus that Paul sets out here like that. But we still face it. This degree of commitment that Paul describes, which it kind of makes logical sense. If Jesus is God and if God is love and wants the best For us, the most complete and true and meaningful lives we can possibly live, how could there be anything better than living totally committed to that? It makes logical sense, but I don't know about you, but for me it still feels emotionally somewhat out of reach. Perhaps even out of where I might want 
to reach, to make for service. We offer to Christ so absolute that nothing else matters. And yet, and yet, as I wrote these words, I was reminded of other words that I've often spoken asking others to repeat after me. Words from the marriage service. All that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. Again, the second half is relatively easy. It's just stuff, and I'm just saying I'll share. But the first half, all that I am, I give. Ridiculous words. Unattainable promises. And yet I don't think I've ever married a couple who didn't mean those words, at least when they were saying them. None of them, I'm sure, would have claimed that they could actually keep that promise. Not absolutely, not honestly, not all the time. But they meant them. In the sense that they are written as a declaration of intent. A statement of an ideal to which they aspired towards which they committed themselves to strive. I can hear Paul's words as a challenge as I hear those words. It's why I'm really glad that the phrase suggested for this series, which was actually Sonia's phrase, growing towards the light is as it is, growing. Verb, growing towards. Paul's language here, as it actually quite often is, is radical and absolute. But he wasn't perfect. He would have been the last to claim that he had actually lived a life which fully reflected those words he wrote. Perhaps we might also then have the freedom to repeat these words, to live is Christ, not as a claim of attainment, not as a boast of religious perfection, but as a declaration of a direction. As that light towards which we want, at least in our better moments, or at least want to want to grow. I can't say that 
My life is so wholly committed to the service of God, nothing else matters to me. But I can say that that is the direction I would like to be growing in. That, I think, may be the challenge for us in these words and in the words in this letter as we look at them in the weeks ahead. Amen. Amen.